welcome to the Crosstalk Podcast, the podcast that brings together fitness and healthcare professionals to discuss topics that will help you become your best and healthiest version of yourself. I'm your host, Nate Reynolds, a physical therapist that specializes in orthopedics and CrossFit from beautiful upstate New York. Welcome to this week's episode of the Crosstalk Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Ethan Calkins. He's currently a physical therapy student at Shenandoah University, and he's a former high school strength and conditioning coach in Binghamton, New York. So welcome. Uh, how are you doing Thanks today? Thanks for having me. Uh, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about your background. So uh, like you said, I'm a stre- I was a former strength and conditioning coach uh, in Binghamton, New York. Uh, I grew up in Troy, PA, Northeastern Pennsylvania. And I uh, played a ton of sports growing up. Uh, the main sport that I played was wrestling. And um, after high school, my illustrious athletic career, <laughs> not that illustrious, uh, I decided to attend Penn State University, uh, where I majored in kinesiology. Um, so originally, I had always had an interest in physical therapy. Um, I did a couple internships throughout, uh, my time at Penn state and I was, uh, kind of winding up my time there. And I had one last internship, uh, with Penn state and to complete my degree. And I decided that instead of doing a internship, another one with physical therapy at just like a general outpatient clinic, I was all set up to go there. And I decided at the last minute that I would try something a little bit different. And I actually reached out to the strength and conditioning department uh, at Penn State, uh, Rianne Davis. And I got an internship with uh, her and the other uh, coaches um, that worked primarily with anywhere from baseball, softball, track and field, lacrosse, men's and women's. Um, So saw a ton of different sports while I was there. And so I did my final internship um, with Penn State Strength and Conditioning. Um, Supposed to be like a 250-hour internship. Uh, By the time I was all said and done, spending about 25, 30 hours a week there, uh, it obviously uh, became a little bit longer, but um, an awesome introduction into strength and conditioning which obviously then led on to impact um, after graduation, um, deciding to obtain my CSCS certification and then became a strength and conditioning coach uh, in Binghamton, New York. Yeah. So just to kind of elaborate on the CSCS, um, that's kind of, you know, would you say that's like the, the gold standard in the strength and conditioning realm like you know that's the the certified strength and conditioning specialist would you say there's any other like uh, certifications that are like at that level um i would say as far as like the gold standard like you said yeah it's a good certification but like at the end of the day it's it it's a test you know what i mean um it's a test that you can study for just like any others and getting a cscs certification doesn't make a good strength coach. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the experiences that you have um, influence from other strength and conditioning coach learning, being a sponge. That's what 
really makes a good strength and conditioning coach. Like I've met good strength and conditioning coaches that haven't necessarily had, you know, the laundry list of certifications, uh, you know, letters behind their name, but they've been really good strength and conditioning coaches and vice versa. I've seen people who have, you know, a ton of certifications, you know, not be able to coach an athlete and cue an athlete correctly. So um, I really think it depends on, um, you know, your experience um, and just gaining more experience working with athletes is what truly um, defines somebody's, you know, ability to coach well. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I think the one thing that I've learned even in physical therapy is like, you can't, you can't replace experience. You know, like you said, you had supposed to be 250 hours, you know, if you just did the 250 hours at Penn state, you know, you probably wouldn't have learned nearly as much embracing all that knowledge and all that time from some of those coaches that that's where like the true knowledge comes from. And, you know, I think, you know, I have my CSCS and, you know, like you said, it's just a test and, you know, it is a pretty extensive test, but, you know, I would say that you're probably better at coaching strength and strength movements than I am just from that experience and your two or three years being a strength coach. Uh, whereas I'm more focused on corrective exercises. Yeah. Uh, I think that, um, you know, it's become very popular. I follow a lot of, uh, physical therapists online and it's, become very popular to for a physical therapist just to feel like they need to go get it just to work with athletes and just because they have it then doesn't necessarily mean anything um but it's a good foundation don't get me wrong like i i do think the nsca um provides good content um valuable resources for uh the people uh who obtain that certification but like i said um it's not the end all be all. I think uh, furthering uh, education is always uh, better. So then you ended your time at Penn State and then you ended up going to UHS and being a strength coach there. And so what would you say, uh, how was your first year uh, being a strength coach? Because I know my first year as a physical therapist, you know, I was drinking water out of hose and I just felt like I was so overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a very similar experience for me. Uh, so like I said, I really, um, you know, in high school, I didn't really have like a ton of experience with weightlifting. Um, I had done some stuff in college, but nothing really, um, you know, I wasn't really coached or anything like that. So really the internship with Penn State Strength and Conditioning was the first time I ever really got my feet wet, like in a high level, you know, weight room situation. And, you know, I tried to soak up as much as I could, but at the same time, like, um, you know, just learning the basics of, of programming and, and how to read an advanced workout sheet and stuff like that, you know, the, the language that goes on in there and, and different exercises and stuff like that, like that was all relatively new for me. So after having that, that, you know, short time that I spent with, uh, the strength and conditioning there at Penn state, I got hired about four months later at UHS and basically was told, you know, you're going to be at this new high school, this new contract that we have. And, you know, it's up to you what you want to do there. 
So I was basically handed the keys to the car and told to drive it uh, without ever passing, you know, my license or anything like that. Um, or being taught how to drive, I guess would be a better, better analogy. So I walked into Susquehanna Valley, you know, started right away. Not sure what I was going to do, but I set up to what I believe was going to be, you know, this basic programs to just kind of assess where we were at. Not many people in the school, not many of the athletes had ever lifted weights before. It was mainly the football team is in the weight room and some other groups of people, but that's it. You know, females rarely ever lifted weights. So I really had to try to go at it with getting the coaches on board, getting the coaches, the sport coaches to buy in to uh, the benefits of weightlifting, the benefits of strength and conditioning and how it was going to make their athletes, you know, better on the field, more resilient when it comes to injuries. And that took time. Like it's, it, that's something that doesn't necessarily just happen overnight. So building those relationships early on with the sport coaches was kind of my main goal. And then, you know, just kind of introducing myself to the students, the student athletes at the school. And then just, like I said, build simple, basic programs to really assess where we're at, where, what level of athletes am I working with? You know, obviously some of the athletes that, you know, can do those programs with ease, you know, those, those ones get progressed through pretty quickly, but, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go in there and cause harm, cause injury to any athletes and then immediately lose all credibility that I had. So I had to kind of be a little bit conservative in the, in the path that I chose, but uh, overall um, ended up being successful as far as getting people on board and getting people to buy into what I had to uh, tell them. Yeah. I think the keys right there, the fact that, you know, number one, I think anytime you enter into a new situation, you know, I think the priority should be like relationship development. You know, you, you have to earn trust. That's not something that's just given to you based on your background. You know, I think moving to Rochester, you know, I have three years of clinical experience and, you know, I've worked really hard to develop my skill set, uh, but, you know, it's back to, you know, square one with developing relationships and, and really building trust, you know, and, and so I think, you know, you're right in saying that, you know, the first part that you had was to build those relationships because that's what takes time. And a lot of times you're not going to see the results right away of, of developing relationships that, you know, it's, it's going to take months, maybe a year, a few years before a, tr a coach really trusts you. Uh, and then the second thing I think you nailed on, uh, nailed on the head was, you know, you got to start basic. You need to have a way to assess uh, groups of people, whether that's come up with like a screening system or, or giving them, you know, simple workouts just to see where they're at. And I think, you know, especially when you're, when you're a large group of people, it's probably easier just to do a simple template uh, workout, uh, because you, you know, in a group setting, you don't have the time to, you know, break down the mobilities of every single individual or see where their strengths and weaknesses are. You know, you know, you're talking about working with 10, 11 sports teams. And so I think you, you probably handle that really well with what your priorities were. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely took time. It was easy with, uh, teams like the football team, like I said, who had already been in there, you know, we were, 
walked into a situation where it was kind of poised for success. Like we had very good athletes that year. Um, my first year that I was there and they knew they were very good athletes. So me being a 22 year old kid right out of college and working with these, you know, 17, 18 year old athletes who have worked hard their whole lives without me and then trying to get them to buy into believing in even simple things that we would do. It doesn't have to be throwing up 500 pounds on the squat rack. You know, simple things can keep people healthy and keep people in the game and uh, ended up being very successful that year. Um, But I knew no matter what, I could write the best program in the world. I could be, you know, nail all the details, everything down. But unless I got buy-in from the athletes and they wanted to be there and they believed in what we were doing, then I might as well rip up the paper. So um, I thought that was very key. And and don't get me wrong, the coaching staff and athletic director were very uh, monumental in helping me develop those relationships with the athletes as well. Yeah, I mean, your first year, you know, your first and second year, you know, you were state champs for a reason. You know, I'm sure you played a role in that. You know, it's not, you, you don't develop that success without having, you know, a good foundation from the coaching staff, from the strength and conditioning programming, uh, it, it all works together, you know, kudos to you. And I know you're not going to take the credit for that, but yeah, I appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, I'm not the one out there on the field playing. I just try and do my part uh, as best as I can, you know, play my role, be there on the sidelines, uh, when I can be, you know, work with the kids in the weight room. And like you said, yes, they were, uh, very successful, ended up uh, state champs back-to-back both years. Very great group of athletes that uh, are fun to work with, that's for sure. So going off of football uh, to the other sports, you know, you know, you said you had a lot of experiences at Penn State with different sports. Do you think it was difficult programming for sports that you didn't necessarily have experience playing or, or being around uh, in your first year? Yeah, I think it was – I think it was difficult um, – you know, different movement patterns and, and, and stuff like that. Like, obviously, like I try and keep things pretty basic when I'm, when I'm programming, you know, working the fundamental movement patterns and sticking the basic things, but doing them really well is, is kind of what I pride myself on. Yeah. I, there's obviously programming for sports that I didn't play. I try to dig into some research a lot of things that I would try to do uh, would be more of like an injury prevention, especially when you're working with high school athletes, you know, it's much different than college where college athletes, they're required to be in the weight room a certain number of days a week. Like I know how, I know you probably have that experience where you had certain days of the week where you are required to be in the weight room. And that's just not the case with high school. You know, you try and work around schedules and games and in season and it's very difficult. So, you know, sometimes you only get 30 minutes a week with a team and you got to realize what's important. I try and figure out things that will be injury prevention, you know, some sort of strengthening exercises that that will help benefit them with their sports. So I try to dig into some research 
and try to come at it from an uh, evidence-based way and just do my best. Talk to support coaches, get perspectives, talk to other strength coaches at UHS, um, several things like that. But I really tried to have a well-rounded approach for teams that uh, teams with sports that I didn't necessarily play. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a good point is like, if you don't necessarily understand, you know, you just got to find resources, you know, whether that's the coach or, you know, even if it's getting on social media and, and figuring out who's deemed the specialist in that area, you know, whether they're like a rot- rotational athlete, you know, an overhead athlete, like football, you know, just pure strength. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's uh, just key to just trying to understand the, the movement that is required and then trying to build a program around that, try to simplify things. You know, I think the more that I've been in practice, the, the more I've realized that the more I simplify, the more consistent I'll be. And that will help me deliver a better product. You know, I used to think that, you know, uh, a jack of all trades, master of none was like what you wanted to be. But that just means you're just mediocre at a lot of things, you know. Right. If you do a few things very well, um, that's that's better. Yeah. And I think I think realizing what you do well is super important. And then reaching out to experts in your field or finding those people who do the things that you want to do very well. Like I know that working with baseball players, I hadn't worked with a a ton of baseball players. So I would look a lot at like Eric Cressy and what does he do with his athletes? You know, Mike Boyle and, and, and people like that who are, who are experts and, and really try and dig into, they put a ton of free content out like blog posts and stuff like that. Um, stuff on social media, like that type of stuff for me uh, really hit home. And I try to then pick little nuggets out that they do and apply them sparingly into my programs too and see how it works and if i like it then i keep it in there if i don't then you know just kind of get rid of it yeah you pick what you think is important we all have different backgrounds and so you know you just pick and choose what you think is good what you think is going to help you in that moment and then you know you go from there so then you know going on to you know working with high school athletes you know obviously you're working with you know, multi-sport athletes, you know, they're in season for one sport, they're they're out of season for another. How did you kind of balance that? Were you just kind of, like you said, making sure that you just worked on the foundation, not really doing like sport specific stuff or were you? So it really depended on uh, what teams and what athletes I was working with. Like you said, yeah. You know, at the high school level, you know, a lot of your, a lot of your, stronger athletes and stuff like that you know your your uh, more accomplished athletes they tend to be multi-sport athletes usually three sport athletes and then then you get them in the summertime and they're on an AAU basketball team and you know they're doing all this other stuff so it's like there truly is no off season so trying to come up with typical periodization program you're not going to, you're not going to get the time off. They're not, they're not going to get a typical off season. So it's like, you know, you really got to be creative with how you're programming, how you're uh, progressing these athletes. And, and like you said, yeah, like, you know, you're building the foundation that, you know, you can then add in as you go. Once you get that foundation built, you add in your sport specific, you know, during this, during the season that they're in, 
you know, hopefully they get a few, a few weeks off before their next season and, and start all over again, you know, building the foundation. And hopefully, you know, if they're going season to season, to season, um, they're getting, you, you, you got to program in that time for rest and recovery. Um, but hopefully they're starting that next season at the same level that they ended the last one at. And, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, you know, being successful in, in high school sports means, you know, your season's lasting longer than normal. And sometimes those seasons overlap. So, you know, like I said, with football, um, sometimes our season would end, you know, the last week of November and basketball or wrestling season is already started. So these kids are, you know, getting no rest in between. So it's really, it really is uh, difficult then to balance that programming aspect. So a lot of times the summer just ends up being a catch-all for all off-season athletes and then just having conversations with them about, you know, what are you doing this summer? You're playing in a summer baseball league or AU or uh, soccer, you know, you name it. Kids these days are doing it. So it's challenging. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good problem to have. Like you want to have multi-sport athletes and you, and you want to have that overlap because then that means that they're being successful and they're, they're doing well at what they're training for. I, I look to like my next step in life and, you know, like having kids and, you know, I want them all to be multi-sport athletes. You know, I think that's how you learn how to use your body and train your body. Uh, because like the more problems you give your body to solve, the, the better and the more aware you are of how to use your body. And that's why I think, you know, if you look at some of those statistics, like uh, in the 2020 NFL draft, like 85% of, you know, the athletes were multi-sport athletes, you know, if, and, and then they broke that statistic down and, and it was like 53% of them were two sport athletes and 31% were like three sport athletes. And only like 15% was like one sport. And I think that goes to show that, you know, we're having this problem right now in high school sports where everyone's trying to specialize too early. They're not mastering their bodies as much as they could. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, you know, a multitude of, of factors that goes into that. Um, you know, early specialization, like you said, they're not mastering, you know, so many important skills that they would learn, you know, just by doing other activities and, you know, giving their main sport a break, um, you know, not to mention burnout uh, gets the likelihood of burnout goes up dramatically if you're only playing one sport um, all year round um, and not giving it a chance to give it a break. And then the likelihood of injury, you're using the same movement patterns over and over and over and over again, and not giving your body a chance to uh, experience different things. Um, so I can't really, I can't really see a, a good reason why early specialization would be a good decision for a parent to have for the child. Yeah. I think a lot of it is like that, that peer pressure. Like if your kid's not doing uh, AAU and working you know, for this travel team and doing this and this and this, then they feel like their, their kids getting behind from getting that exposure. But I know that when, you know, I was recruited for college, you know, the first thing the coach said was like, Oh, you're a multi-sport athlete. And he goes, you know, you're this good at baseball. Now imagine once you, what you'll be like when you focus on it on itself. And I was like, yeah, that's a great point. You know, like, you know, I haven't fully invested into doing it all year round. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there's going to be even more growth, but you know, I feel like sometimes those kids that just do one sport all year round, you know, they're kind of peaking early. 
you know, right. they're good right. in high school, but that won't necessarily translate to college. And I mean, that's a different conversation, you know, college is a completely different beast, you know, you know, it, it becomes more of a job. It's, it's very strenuous, but, you know, I, I think some kids, you know, think they want to play in college and they get there and they, you know, they have unrealistic expectations of what their skill set is first off. And second, uh, what it's going to, it's not going to be as glamorous, you know, you know, traveling all the time, uh, playing, you know, double headers and 30 degree weather, you know, on your spring break in Long Island and, you know, snow and conditions, you know, no one, you know, when you say, you know, oh, I want to play in college, you don't think about that. You know, you think about playing in, you know, 96 degree weather, playing against Texas A&M, you know, surrounded by 9,000 people, you know, that's what you expect. Uh, you don't expect, you know, the games that, you know, no one shows up to and you're just freezing your butt off and, you know, you've been sitting on the bench for the last, you know, 12 games straight and, you know, coach doesn't even look at you, you know, you don't. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a major commitment. People uh, don't realize, but uh, but sometimes that can be good for kids too. Uh, you know, it gives them a little bit of structure that they might not, uh, not have had in their lives. Um, you know, as far as their uh, regimented schedule and stuff like that. So, there's definitely pros and cons to uh, to that conversation. If there's one thing that I think taught me a, a lot uh, was riding the bench in college. You know, not coming in being, you know, one of the, one of the top recruits being told like, Oh, you'll compete for this. And then coming in and then my friend Pat, who wasn't even on scholarship comes in and he just tears it up, you know, mm-hmm. and he was just significantly better than I was early on in my career. And he, I mean, he still was, he, I mean, he still is probably a much better uh, baseball player than I am or ever will be. Uh, and it was just like the reality of being humbled and ego check. Yeah. Ego check. You know, you know, we all need that. Uh, and so, you know, I think sometimes in high school sports, you don't, you don't have that humbling experience until you get to college. I think, uh, everything that you, you added in, uh, about, you know, the strength and conditioning world, uh, and, and some of that transitioning, uh, from being at Penn state and, you know, learning on the job and now, you know, our next topic for the next episode will be, you know, your transition into PT school. Uh, I think that's all valuable information because sometimes we don't see the process of how you get from point A to point B. Uh, and so I appreciate that input. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, appreciate you uh, having me on to share the story and uh, looking forward to that as well. Thank you for listening to the Cross Talk Podcast. The music was produced by Scott Holmes. I'm your host, Nate Reynolds. You can find more great content on the energy.health Instagram and also on my website, energyhealth.fit. Until next time, continue to prioritize your health.